Hello, and welcome to the Consequential Podcast. This evening you'll find the two of us, mm. myself, Roger Hart, and Ms. Lucy Boys. Hi. Dave is not here, really. He's been off burning his pasty buttocks in the Antilles or some such. Indeed. Apparently he goes on international travel and is now too fancy to podcast for the likes of us. Gallivanting. I heard he was gallivanting. I'm not sure I approve. No. And, um... We, we are going to talk... What are we going to talk about? Um, we are going to talk about comics made by women. Fanny chat. No, wait, sorry, that's the... One that's, of the, the that's, the, yeah, that's the other you podcast. Know, the seven of the 800s. Yeah, yeah, it's not... I'm not going to do that. No, I, I don't really... Like, I mean, you don't understand the whole region. That no, way. it's not my specialty. No, that's fine. I'll never be on, like, Vagina Mastermind. So yeah, we're going to um, sort of spotlight some things that we've been reading, um, created by, largely I suspect written by, but mm. created by, by women. Um, why? Because that's a good thing to do, people have been doing it for a while, but particularly why, and, like, and why am I even fucking asking why, why would you not do that? But right now, um, okay, so a few weeks ago, a couple of days ago, earlier, depending on when you're listening to this, through previously. the magic of the future radio, yes. previously, some... Like sales bro douche nozzle at Marvel stepped out of, up at a conference and basically blamed diversity for not making their numbers. Right? Oh, we didn't sell enough because we need diversity. People don't like books with all the women's. As long as capitalism is predicated on inequality, you are always going to have someone saying that more equality does not make enough money. Yeah. And they got roundly mocked, and they got yelled at, and they clarified, and the follow-up statement is honestly not not massively better, and I'm not going to dwell on it. But this was credulously reported by quite a lot of the mainstream press as, you know, diversity costs Marvel sales and and all that shit. I ask him, well, the thing that bothers me is that you could unselfconsciously actually step up and say it in the first place. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, a few people did some analysis. I haven't looked at this in detail, but it looks like actually quite apart, it, quite apart from being kind of stupid and a little bit offensive and, and dorky and weird, it's also almost certainly factually untrue. So the overall market is kind of screwed. There's a whole bunch of stuff that's not going great for Marvel, not least that they are cranking out goodness knows what after goodness knows what for their core franchises. They're not great at attracting new readers. They're making movies for everyone else yeah. at this point. A lot of stuff is on fire. Marvel have basically... Marvel have, It's like General Electric in Europe. Mm. In America, General Electric is this amazing corporation, heirs to Edison, the thing that you could want, nobly want to be part of. Mm. And in Europe, they're like, oh, fuckers that like make light bulbs. Rock? Yeah. yeah. 30 Rock and Light Bulbs. Mm. Um, uh, going back to your point about mainstream media a second, there's something I would very much like to say to the mainstream media as a whole, if any of your individual component parts happen to be listening, which is that just because someone fucking says something doesn't mean you have to pay even the slightest bit of attention to it. Think about the power of your platform before you just go fucking repeating nonsense. Yeah, that. Um, so a little bit before that, Zainab Akhtar published her probably annual, as she's done a few... Love Zainab Akhtar. Mm. Um, roundup of um, 10 female cartoonists you need to know in the AV Club. And then a while ago, I think it was last year, Kelly C. DeConnick did the Visible Women hashtag thing. Yes. Oh, really cool thing. I don't know if you've seen this, but um, I think this launched today. So a comic called Power Ballad by Molly Brooks, which she tweeted as directly inspired by Kelly C. DeConnick's um, Visible Women sort of hashtag campaign thing last year. Oh, cool. Um, launched, I, I think, today, and it's lovely. I'll talk about that in a minute. So yeah, this just feels like a 
a timely moment to maybe point to some good things done by some people what don't have penises. Yes. Necessarily. Necessarily. Although I'm, I'm inclusive. Yeah. Yeah. There's no turfing here. No, oh, God, no. Oh, Can't be doing that nonsense. No, boring. Mm. You know, destructive. Horrible, really. So, we see. As I believe it is customary to ask, what have you been reading? So I've actually, I've, I've focused entirely on the topic. I just sort of didn't do any non-topic reading this week. And I, I took uh, Zainab's list as a good starting point, not just because I can't do my own research, but partly that. Um, it's a good list. Uh, it's, a, it's a good list, but actually because looking through the previews, there was so much stuff, even on just a list of 10 people, that I thought this is... this is. So I had this problem periodically where... And this happened when I first started reading comics kind of seriously a few years ago, where I would go to Gosh and I would pick everything up that looked like it was more or less for me, and mm. I would enjoy that. But the sort of the pace of publishing, especially if you're doing a book-length thing, is quite slow. So then there'd be this sort of drought of, well, I'm sort of reading things, and I'm reading things you guys have recommended, and I'm reading things I probably wouldn't have exposed myself to if I'd just purely been choosing, this is the stuff that looks like it's for me. Um, but this looked... I mean, this list was just a kind of you know, a windfall of things that looked like they were for me, so I was quite excited about that. There's some really lovely art on there as well. <sighs> There's just, it's that... I really like the sort of quiet, contemplative, space-filled, feeling-imbued, but not necessarily directly looked at type of stuff that it is often women creating. It's the, the sort of that one summer kind of... Mm. place especially especially teenage and teenage girl experience and that seems to be we yeah. seem to have hit a time where a lot of people of roughly my generation are now writing about their youths because that's sort of what you do when you're roughly our age I guess and there's some wonderful mood pieces I can't wait for Tilly Walden, uh, Walden's figure skating book mm. oh yes no I forgot that was coming I can't remember when that's actually coming out but uh... my god she's prolific <sighs> and no. good we'll come to that later later yes no so um, first of all I took a look at um Someone called Rosemary Valerio O'Connell, who was one of the people on Zainab's list, and oh my oh, god. I have that open in my browser, it looks lovely. lovely. Um, so I started with If Only Once, If Only For A Little While, which is a sort of shortish finished piece about, about fear and about relationships, and it begins to... It sort of opens like it's about the relationship between two people, and one of them is very afraid, and the other one is trying to counsel them, and then it turns out there's some sort of lost stuff involved and it may not be sort of realism exactly and mm. it's just very mm. I guess it's sort of it's short enough that to say much more than that would kind of give quite a lot away but it's very it is like someone plugged right into my feelings port there was none of the usual interfacing which I mm. get with a lot of stuff well I think it's a lot of the time stuff is just so obviously not for me and I don't just mean sort of as a demographic, as a woman roughly my age, I also mean sort of for me specifically, for my particular internal landscape, um, that I spend, I think, a lot of time trying to assess stuff on its own merits, trying to find the good and the interesting in things that clearly were not sort of laser targeted at me. So then to actually get something that just kind of goes there by default automatically without me, I'm not having to do any work mm. to get what's going on here, and that's yeah. really nice. Okay, no, that makes a degree of sense. I also read, um, again, Rosemary Valero O'Connell, um, another short one called Unkind and Unwell, which is, 
it's quite dark. It's uh, she's got a bit of a sort of not not quite full Emily Carroll going on, but the sort of little undertow horror. I there. did think about Emily Carroll when I looked. So I only very briefly looked at some of her stuff, but there was, there was something. It's a little bit in the visual style. Yes. Not massively. But also, there's that sort of it's a it's a thin jagged edge of fear as opposed to it fears yeah. flooding the whole thing. Well, um, the first page of Unkind Unwell. I'm just looking at it now. Yes. It's ooh panel knife. Lovely floaty text stab, oh, stab, and then backseat of the car, and it looks like it's quite casual about something quite harsh. Yes, um, there's, there's a tone there. Yes, no, and it's it's sort of it's about the kind of what's well, about cyclicality to some extent. It's sort of the story of someone who is forced to, I guess, repeatedly confront or deal with the same or similar thing in a way that causes them some distress. But it's just totally viscerally done you know they're cutting it out of themselves oh, and fuck beating this is it with good. a baseball bat it's really fucking good she's also done some um, some non-fiction stuff mm. so she did a biography of uh, someone called Hallie Daggett who was one of the first women to work for the US Park Service mm. in the early 20th century and again it's got that I don't know because they're all such they're very very different topics all three of those but they all have that same sort of there is space for feelings in them, and, yeah. and, and Halle Daggett in particular. It's sort of, you know, the world is saying, oh, but you're just a girl, you're going to get eaten by bears, aren't you terribly frightened? And she's like, actually, I feel sort of quite complete out here on my own mm-hmm. in the wilderness. That's really quite nice for me as an individual. And sort of that sort of, again, being able to focus on the individual and the specific rather than the sort of like bright, mm-hmm. blaring, scrolling, ticker tape messages that society yes. is kind of cramming at you the whole time. Um. This is, this is a thing that is going to come up again and again when I'm talking about Ooh, these. and it's got half-tones. And it's got half-tones. The thing that, that keeps striking me in all of these things, actually, and I don't know if, it's, if it is... I don't know if it is the feels of women who are roughly my age. I don't know if it is just the way that women are more like to frame something in general when they're writing, but there does seem to just be that breathing space for feeling and for ambiguity in ways that I don't really get in other works. Um, and then so after that I read some of Afton Corbin's work. Um, she is a, an American creator who is um, a lot of it sort of daily, hourly kind of diary comics type stuff. But there's a lot of stuff about race in there, which is very interesting. Oh. I mean, I'm trying to, as you know, one of probably the whitest people in the United Kingdom, I mean, I glow in the dark at this point. Um, we, we all we do. We both do. Yeah. We all do. Well, I'm a northern ginger. It's true, isn't it? Um, you know, three quarters Celt, so. Mm. Um, I, I feel like it's as a sort of, as somebody with immense default privilege who is nonetheless kind of sensitive to inequality, I hope, I feel like there is work for me to do in shutting up and listening when other people are talking. And, you know, it's that sort of thing when you're trying to deconstruct your own internalised racism because to deny that you have any is sort of the first symptom that you obviously do have some you know i think if if something someone has written about their lived experience of race makes you feel defensive and uncomfortable you should be thinking about where those feelings are coming from rather than directing them right back at the creator and that's sort of that's what i'm trying to do i'm trying to see how other people feel from a huh that's really interesting perspective not from a but you threaten my innate toxic whiteness perspective and um, there are a couple of, of Afton Corbin's that I read. There was one which talked about the sort of paper bag test, the idea that lighter skin is by default better and more palatable unless you look at sort of 
the range of skin tones of black people in Hollywood, mm. for instance, and it's only quite recently that we're getting a lot more sort of much, much darker skin tones there that are sort of slowly becoming more acceptable. I mean, God, this is, this is the most clueless white person story probably that I've ever told, but I was on a cruise once and just, we had to, my partner's luggage got held up for some reason. There was a weird thing in the mm. metal detector. It turned out here to be his telescope, his, his collecting telescope at the bottom of his bag and they couldn't work out what it was or if it was legit to go on the ship. That's adorable. Yes. So we had to go down to the security area, which was mm. on the very lowest deck, same deck as the kitchen, same deck as engineering and mm. security and all mm. this cleaning kind of stuff. And just everybody in those roles was at least a few skin tones darker than the people in the public facing customer service roles. And I just felt, I mean, I already felt gross and weird because I was sort mm. of on a cruise, not entirely of my own intention, but I felt even grosser and weirder after that clicked. Yeah, that's that's one of those oh fuck moments where yes. you kind of... Why have you done this? Uh, but no, I know why you've done this because your clientele are mostly rich elderly white people and they feel more comfortable with people who are lighter skinned and look more like them they find that more relatable like there is a type of human that is more relatable to be it's the whiter one I mean what the fuck I don't know but Mm. um so so Afton Corbin has written about the paper bag test and also there was just a really really exceptionally good one of her diary comics I think it's called uh, Day 27 Mm. which was about a conversation she'd sort of had with her sister ongoing about race. And a few years previously, her sister had been in quite a bad place mental health-wise and had just been feeling essentially extremely oppressed by her own blackness and by what society expected of her based on that and by the sort of few mm. holes that were cut out for her in that. And that was kind of quite significantly contributing to her depression and her sort of feelings of worthlessness and, and suicidality even. Mm. Um, and, you know, sort of on the positive end, her sister has kind of come out of that and is now an advocate for mental health in her community mm. and that kind of thing. Oh, cool. But um, just that sort of... Just just sitting with someone else's disgust because of the constructs of the society around me and seeing that turned in on itself. I mean, I think if you can't in some way empathise about hating yourself because you're not a thing society told you you should be, then you've probably lucked out in this world. Quite a bit. But that's also a huge spectrum of experience, and I'm sort of, again, probably somewhat near the top of the pile privilege-wise on that, and I find it valuable to connect with people who have different experiences there. Yeah. But um, but I still feel extraordinarily awkward about talking about it. It was only yeah. when I was sort of having a conversation with a friend who, again, white, but lives in uh, sort of Rust Belt America, a lot more kind of mm. black friends, more exposure to kind of American black culture, and she... I sort of made the point that I just feel so awkward talking clumsily about it from my literal ivory tower and she was like but well at the same time do we not as white people who are sort of more on the right side of this kind of have a duty to do some of the talking you know it's it's Patrick Stewart saying I'm going to be a feminist because if you won't actually listen to women maybe you'll listen to me is there is there other ways in which we can leverage our privilege to turn the conversation in a better direction. I, and I still yeah. feel super weird about it. I feel yeah. super weird about it right now talking about yeah, it. Yeah, same. I, but I think also, this, is, this shouldn't be about my apology. There's so many layers of what am I doing wrong here. I think for me, the, the only um, yes to everything you just said, the only caveat is so long as we're not occupying a platform that could better be had by someone else or taking yes, space exactly. away from... So if there is someone from a marginalised group that could be better speaking than me, and fuck knows there is, mm-hmm. like if I'm as long as I'm not barging them off stage. Yes. So you also look Carter Monier, Moynier, yes. Monier. Uh, someone else I had a quick look at myself. So, yes. Yeah. 
Um, so I read a Ghost Call, which was um, a comic she did entirely in MS Paint for oh, yes. um, an MS Paint sort of drawing competition at the, at the call centre where she works mm. um, as a day job. There was a sort of do your best MS, MS Paint competition. She did this kind of quite incredible comic. It's in weirdly... Paint. It's extremely compelling. This is going to sound so strange, but it looks like she chose to use MS Paint as opposed to having to. Yes, it's exactly. so deliberate in its kind of yes. its line work and its composition. Lighting. Mm. I didn't know you could actually make texture with MS Paint. Um, but it's about uh, somebody who's working at a call centre and it's Halloween and their boss has scheduled them for overnight uh, shifts and basically someone or something horrible is kind of fucking with them, but they mm. keep they can't tell if it's their boss's joke. It's a really classic horror story of, yes. like, what's outside, is it real, is it coming, is it really inside? The other thing that it does very well is that thing of sort of progressively sort of amping up the fear ante. Mm. So this person's been contracted to work for three nights during the scary period overnight, and the first night she's like, haha, nothing can frighten me, and my boss is just going to try and fuck with me, that's fine. And yes, the sort of startling is it goes yeah. for. Um, and that sort of... I think it's a very familiar thing. I think a lot of us can imagine you think you will just be able to brazen something out, but actually even over a relatively short period of time, fear can just weigh mm. you down. So I think this captures that perfectly. Yes. I, I love... So the e- it's punctuated by the emails to her boss. Yes, which are which also are amazing tone-wise. Just, just halfway between... Did you read um, either uh, Fairy Tales for Bad Bitches or Greasy's Guide to Nookie? Uh, no, but I read the uh, Greasy in Space one. So... To me, I I was reading those emails and I was picturing Greasy. Yes. Well, I think it's also, I don't think I can very much identify with, is this sort of our generation are roughly bringing a degree of irreverence back to the workplace that mm. the workplace was not entirely prepared for. Again, it's the, the it, it, I think it, to some extent goes back to the thing I was saying about race earlier, where mm. if if you see young people advocating for something better for themselves why is your first reaction defensive why mm. do you automatically think that that makes you lose something why is your capital to be hoarded personally mm. and why does other people getting a share of the pie inherently threaten you mm. so yes no i like anything that that keeps pushing that agenda did you um look at anything else from cartamania or Monier or I read a few of her shorts, more of her diary comics. Did um, you read um, Don't Want to Close My Eyes? No, I didn't. Mm. I can't believe I'm going to pick this out, but I like the aspect ratio. Oh. Um, so it's it's like a it's like a zine. It's like a sort of stubby, um, like cheap print, mm. um, almost uh, not risograph,ic lysograph, risograph, that thing, the old thing that predated the photocopier. It, it's got that kind of. It's on the web, obviously, so it's yeah. not, but it's got that print-at-home feel. Mm-hmm. And it's these little square panels that each look like they're from a zine. Mm. Or squarish. It's it's not... It's just a slightly unusual aspect ratio. Um, black and white, slightly sort of non-detailed character sketches. And mm. it's an awkward boy at high school on the eve of the end of the world. Mm. <laughs> and everyone's coping it in different ways. And it opens with his mum saying, I spoke to the parents and not everyone's down with it, but we all think you should go. Mm. And it's they're having their homecoming dance or whatever the fuck it is. Like the, 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 oh, the, like, let's the prom. move prom forward because we're all going to die. And you yeah. guys, well, I mean, getting to have prom before you die is the sort of like Make-A-Wish Foundation's wet dream, right? Yeah, but it's so harsh about it. So it's, it's prom and you die at midnight. And there's this running thing of the computer room has been declassified as a sex space. 
um, oh. or whatever it is. Making your parents making your first and last mm. carnal encounter somehow sanitized. Yeah, and there's a youth pastor that's marrying people who want to get into heaven, and there's all this shit in the background. In the middle of it is just this kid who's angsting because he doesn't feel it, he doesn't get it. He's like, what the fuck am I supposed to think? Yeah. I. Um, it's called Don't Want to Close My Eyes. Yes. And he, he just sort of... So the slow dance. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it ends with the slow dance, of obviously, course, of and the, the meteor smashing yes. in and destroying the world. But it's his negotiation of, I don't want to know what are you doing, what are you doing, and I want to participate in this. And it's it's sort of, it's all done in this slightly underground comics, 70s-ish, maybe, kind of visual yeah. idiom. And it's just quite delightful, and you know he's got a mad crush on his best friend, and mm-hmm, there are, mm-hmm. there are things going on mm-hmm. there. But yeah, just a wonderful feeling piece. And in the same way that Ghost Call does a lot of work with very little visually, this is doing. Yes. There's a huge. This has got more of an overt narrative payload. The world mm-hmm. is ending. There's a. Uh, a set of payoff. But it's doing a lot of emotional work on with very little ink. And I think also that's. It's a much more realistic take on that actual circumstance than a lot of people get to. So, I mean, mm. I think presumably all of us, I hope all of us, I hope it's not just me, but I've come to a point where something big happens, whether good or bad, in sort of life terms. You know, maybe it's death of a parent, maybe it's you finally did all that education that you wanted. And there's that moment of there is very much a script that I'm meant to follow here, mm. but I'm not actually feeling any of the feelings that yes. that script demands of me. Yes. And how do I navigate this weird kind of grey space in between what I actually feel, which may be nothing or absurdity or just plain weird, and that sort of perfect little kind of magical fairy tale boat ride that society has said I should put that feeling into? That's what I love about um, Jillian and Mariko Tamaki's Skim. Yes. Which oh, I think you yes, read. Yes, no, I've read yeah. Skim. Skim's really good. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's just set in that moment, really, of what the fuck am I supposed to feel about this? Yes. And how about you? What have you been exploring? Um, so a few things. I read the latest volume of Injection. It's Injection. We love it. Um, we'll talk about it in more detail later at some point, I'm sure. And then a while ago we did a podcast on like sincerity, mm. like lovely things that yes. us horrible, horrible, gnarled people shouldn't like but do. Shouldn't even be able to feel anything from. And actually, um, two of the things I absolutely fucking loved this week um, were Space Battle Lunchtime by Natalie Reese and Princess Princess Ever After by Kate O'Neill, mm. both of which are sincere and lovely. Good. Um, Space I'm Battle... Turning you. Yeah, I know, it's weird. Ooh. It's proper weird. Space Battle Lunchtime is like Space Dumplings, mm-hmm. but actually about food. Uh, and I'm not going to shit you, it's a lot more slight. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a quarter the length, uh, but it is an ongoing series. Yeah. It's all ages. It's um... So Peony, a pastry chef is working in a cafe and a little frog dude wanders in. Mm. Lady, I think. Frog creature wanders in saying, can I please have one of your earth caffeine drinks and maybe a eatable? It, it's something like that. <laughs> and they're like, is that someone in a Halloween costume? Mm. And the frog gets eats, eats the cake and is like, this is pretty good. You, earth person, do you bake? Mm. Would you like to come on a cooking show? Teleporter kicks in. Oh, She's on a spaceship on Space Battle Lunchtime. <laughs> which which is basically the galaxy's best cooking show and everyone's a little bit yeah humans you don't get out much do you um <laughs> white bread sandwiches yeah pretty much um and it's all of these this gorgeous like saturday morning cartoon like nice invader zim mm-hmm. if, if you picture that kind of i can get close yeah but... um so all the ingredients like moon salt 
when it's being lazy, but also fillet of splorge or whatever, and it's bright and it's colourful and it's wonderful. A kind of rutabaga adventure chef. Yes, maybe? exactly. Yes. Um, and there's a bit of a conspiracy because one of the chefs is sending everyone to a cannibal challenge if they get close to winning. Oh. Cannibal Coliseum, sorry, is the rival cooking show where people <laughs> eat cook bits of each other, and it may or may not be a fight to the death. And it's sort of scattery and weird, and the art is sort of soft and willowy but also bright and fun mm. um, so it's got the kind of blam woo whoosh whoosh Saturday morning thing but within a, a more gentle pencily willowy style mm-hmm. uh, there's um, it reminds me of the, the one with the princess and the frog in fairy tales of bad bitches yes which is again sort of soft and, and odd and the frog critter looks like the frog critter mm-hmm. which is why I'm thinking of it but and you know Penny starts doing quite well and starts winning and befriends the other weird outsider mm-hmm. chef um, but eventually they're going to have to face off because they sort of the two doing the best and there's a prawn in a mech suit sentient prawn in a mech suit full of water his species haven't been, wa- been to war for years so his mech battle suit barely works but it's the only way he can interact with the world yes. um, rusting his own obsolescence yeah, yeah. There's, there's loads of so what I love about it, it's just it's taken loads of big fucking dark psycho ideas that you actually you'd find nasty version of in say Prophet yes or a tongue in cheek slightly Tarantino-y version of in Saga yes stripped out the artifice and mm. just gone like you know what straight up this is fun I like the very sort of loose, quite soft sci-fi, again, that I'm finding a lot of being written by women, where the hardness is not important, the believability is not important, mm. the tech is not important, this is this is sort of just where we are, This is you have to suspend your disbelief at the door for the world, mm. which I like tremendously, because I think a lot of what makes a lot of sci-fi fall down is the clunkiness of trying to shoehorn perfect logic into an otherwise perfectly fine fantasy-ish plot yeah like your hard military sci-fi or your kind of engineering problem sci-fi which was some of it like the Arthur C. Clarke era of which was great yes but yeah yeah, Space Battle Lunchtime Nellie Reese it's kind of lovely actually good it's it's fun Um, so the first volume is I think the first five or six issues or something reminds me of the backstages did we talk I think we talked about backstages yes I think so kids at drama club and then the backstage turns out to be magical yes you did also lovely, differently, I think, is Princess Princess Ever After mm. by Katie O'Neill. And this was, I was put onto this actually at Thought Bubble and I just forgot to look it up until quite recently. And I described this the other day and I stand by it as Squirrel Girl trimmed down to a bedtime, bedtime story. Okay. The style is very, very flat and webtoony. Think like an even less intricate adventure time, that sort of mm-hmm. colour palette. And, oh, yes. And it opens with a princess up a tower. Mm-hmm. Like and then someone that looks like they might be a prince until they get closer and they turn out to be a princess in a military jacket with a fucking rad over- undercut and um, a unicorn rock up and they're like, hey, do you want rescuing? Well, what makes you think you'd be any better than anyone else that's trying to- all these princes that tried to rescue me? Mm. One, ain't no prince and a princess. Two, got a grappling hook. Yes. And that's the sense of humour all the way through, sort of... Um, its sense of humour is sort of the sarky end of Buffy. Princess A rescues Princess B from the tower, mm-hmm. um, along with the dragon that was supposed to be guarding her but has become her pet and is um, kind of slightly wheezy and unfit and a little bit dumpy. No. And, and she's, oh, well, he's big boned just like me, and she's obviously internalized a lot of fat shaming. Oh. 
and like the bad guy in this turns out to be her elder sister mm. who has locked her up to get her out of the way and just relentlessly fat shames her sometimes the people closest to us are the cruelest yeah. so two princesses escape from conventional fairy tale bollocks mm. and go on adventures and then face off against the bad guy mm. which is slightly paternalistic albeit bigger sister fat shaming mm. perfect um, and Tubby Dragon saves the day and the unicorn will do anything for cookies and it's got that kind of big daft it's very Goofy, similar kind of gooey eyes and yeah again yeah. like Rutabaga Adventure Chef it's, yes. it's, it's gleeful I like that um, a lot so two princesses on the back of the unicorn go and rescue a prince because he's stuck up a tree because an ogre threw him there and he can't get down oh. and then it turns out the ogre um, wasn't a bad dude after all so they teach the ogre to dance and the ogre's <laughs> happy and it's so it's a little bit twee, everyone learns a lesson, but kind of knowingly so. Yeah. Um, and obviously they, they, they win at the end, and then unfortunately the tower princess has to go back and be queen, which she never wanted to do, but oh. it's okay, because she like takes advice, and she mm-hmm. isn't magically awesome at it, she just, you know, Tries listens. Tries hard and succeeds. And there's a little coda at the end where the two princesses get married. And it's it's totally unselfconscious. It's. Um, I'm getting a kind of maybe a bit shorter and a little bit less complex in a mono vibe mm, from it. Mm. And again, I think it's, it's, it's explicitly all ages. Mm. And it's part of that moment that we're getting a lot of at the moment. Non-preachy, inclusive all ages, which I fucking love. Yes. You don't have to talk direct to mm. camera. You don't have to do it really heavy-handedly. Faith Erin Hicks, uh, The Nameless City, and The Stone Heart, I believe the sequel, which is out this week or next or soon, mm-hmm. is that kind of thing of, this is a mature, high-functioning all ages book that yes. also has lessons about issues, but it's not on the nose it's just in there because that's what stories are stories good stories emotional things that emotional heft are lessons about issues yes just sometimes messy and unresolved mm-hmm. um, and that was my thought for that no like fuck that noise but yeah. did you look at any do you remember uh, the butt ghost lady I Sylvia Karras and lady, yes. social justice penguin yes so I had a quick look at some of her web stuff uh, there's more butt ghosts it's great I would advise everyone just go and have a look at Sylvia Karras because um her print stuff is hard to get hold of, but um, there's Social Justice Penguin, these mm. two penguins that try and change the world, except they're penguins and no one's really listening. They can't really communicate that yeah. effectively because they're penguins. There's um, butt ghosts, which are <sighs> which ghosts is... that grab people's butts. Yes. And that's, that is the entire joke, except it's kind of lovable. It's, uh, but also it's, 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 um, it's Sideshow Bob stepping on Rake's length of joke, but it's not Family Guy length of joke. Yeah. It's... We, we we take the joke all the way through once and then we go through it about halfway again because yeah. it's funny again at least one more time. Yeah. There's, there's one layer of doubling down, but it doesn't go that sort of full family young guy uncomfortable level of mm. trying to bash you with the joke. Perfect. That is a far better description than I would ever give, um, which is why you should never listen to me and you should listen to Lucy. Um, and then there's this thing that I just saw today, which is Power Ballad mm-hmm. by Mitch and and this is ostensibly off the back of uh, Kelly Sue Comics Visible Women Comics hashtag. Mm. This is a comic by. It's a web comic. It's on Webtoons, which is a horrible site, but it works. I, I kind of feel bad about this, but I stand by it. It's sort of Patsy Walker. Um, Patsy Walker, friend of Jessica Jones, is a TV minor celebrity, mm. and then in her spare time is Hellcat. Is mm. a street level. I think non-powered or mostly non-powered power, punchy power, superhero superhero. Fighter, yeah. And this is a reasonably famous pop star who has decided to be a street-level superhero in a, like, cool sugar skull skull suit with body nice. armour. Oh, well, just nice. look at this. Yes! Oh, fuck, that looks really good. So it's got that digital pencils-on-watercolour-paper yes. feel. Um, it's 
splashy looking. It's very vertical because it, it's very web. It's very web. It's, yes. it's it's quite vertical, scrolly. She rides a motorbike. There are little screenshots of her Twitter feed. Lives in a swanky modernist apartment. Busts uh, up street level violence. Sorry to interrupt. One thing I'm really enjoying about a lot of the comments I'm reading at the moment, especially from people who are sort of newer up and coming creators, is just how much time and effort people put into doing cartoon versions of UIs. So mm. one thing I found problematic when I was writing as a teenager was that all the things I was reading did not really have the internet as context because yep. there was still about a 10 year lag and I felt extraordinarily self-conscious about how to bring that in when that was such a big part of my life and the stuff that I was doing and actually these guys just just kind of do it it's fine and my my read on this actually is because people would complain oh well if you use twitter it'll age badly well no because if you do it right it'll be a period piece forever yes uh-huh. Look at that. So sorry. We're, it's like the Victorian podcast. novels with the telegram. It's yeah. not like that didn't that didn't go away just because it became obsolete. And I'm I'm pointing to a panel now and saying, look at this, and we're a fucking podcast, so that's stupid. But there's this wonderful thing of a uh, swanky apartment building, and then the shading is kind of coming down into the top of the panel yes. um, to create this sense of motion and sky and a little bit of time passing. Mm. Um, it's wonderful. It's got some great character beats later. So her PA basically. Pop star, superhero, and her PA or assistant is kind of falling for her. Mm. So it, it's a pop, street-level crime-fighting, sarcastic lesbian rom-com. I'm sold. If you're not sold, go listen to a different podcast. What the fuck's wrong with you? Yeah, no. Um, it's reasonably racially diversified. It's just, like, fucking wonderful. And there's, there's this bit at the end where she, the assistant is sort of grousing to a friend in a bar, and he's like... You know her really well, so you don't just want to fuck her. Like, this is what's normal. You've known her for, like, three years. You want to brain fuck her. You want to fuck her personality. <laughs> She's not superficially sexy to you anymore. You like her. Mm. And it's got this whole riff on that, and it's it's just... I found this this afternoon, and I'm gushing about it for ten mm. minutes. It's, mm. it's that fucking good. And if it keeps that pitch up even a little, it'll be amazing. I do want to just briefly take a moment to um, tell everyone to make absolutely fucking sure they pre-order Hannah Berry's new book. Yes. She's doing some some spot-on biting political commentary at the further away from on the nose end of the spectrum, and I'm enjoying yeah. that a lot at the moment. It's called Livestock. It's sort of about the deregulation, but not on purpose, or the stealth deregulation of cloning and gene editing. Mm-hmm. But it's also about soup, like celebrity culture mm-hmm. and media superficiality. Mm-hmm. And it's visceral. Yes. God, she's angry, and rightly so. Yes. Um, we love Hannah Berry so much. Friend of the podcast. She's a wonderful, wonderful cartoonist. This sort of soft... I don't know how to describe her line work. It's... Because it's not watercolour, but it's got a similar softness. Yes, and it's got that sort of weird, almost slightly kind of flatter perspective thing from mm. it in a way that really adds to the kind of creepy clammy unsettling horror of a lot of the subject matter very good with color palettes as well mm. her color palettes are meticulously fitted to the subject matter and the mood yes very also a very fine user of small panels yes true i think after watchmen everyone was like oh shit well we don't dare um she does but, yeah. great i mean that's a simplistic reading but you know she's uh, please, please pre-order or have a look at Anna Berry's um, I'll, I'll link in the show notes to there's, there's a preview on her website mm. and um it's just a few pages of a government stooge falling apart on Newsnight while a 
celebrity distracts from a news story by announcing a pregnancy and it skewers just something in the popular moment mm. but it's 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 painfully accurate there are so many people looking at all of this as it's happening and saying oh this is so gross but i don't quite know why and hannah berry knows exactly why and she can turn it around and kind of almost regurgitate it at you with that absolute yeah. needlepoint perfection of and it's not preachy understanding. no it's just it's a mirror it's just it is here this is it Mm. this is a tiny bit more enhanced version of what is already mm. going on you know it's that that best of the most frightening dystopias and the nearest term ones right? yeah and a lot of people so this was a thing Charles Stross in his laundry novels were like mm. oh fuck it do you know what I quit it's all got so crazy now <laughs> and I think Hannah Berry is just yeah it's all gone crazy she's just kind of plugged just on and down. carried on doing it yes. and, it's, and it's such important work I really I can't wait to read this thing this is the book I'm the most probably the most excited for this year I think this is the comic I'm the most excited for this year I think Spillzone is coming out as well Another oh Spill, Spillzone oh, Spill yeah alright yeah okay but hey and the, the fucking conclusion of AD after death but that's a sore point image keep kicking that fucker back jeez like, it's a fucking dream team it's Snyder and Lemire so that that's kind of my small picks and I know I've wanked on for a bit we, we then both um, also sort of picked something and just went at it with our mighty claws. Did a deep dive, yes. You, that was the delightful Tilly Walden's On a Sunbeam. Yes. And for me, that was uh, Moto Hagio's Otherworld Barbara. Mm-hmm. And I think the short version is you liked yours and I didn't like mine. Oh, really? <laughs> Sorry. No, mine was great. Give us some good news. On a Sunbeam. There was, there's a panel that I sort of cropped and put in my notes because it just summed up one of the many bits of this that just got me right in the me and this is um every character in it is a fuck up to some extent um just sort of different levels of working through it having dealt with it and one of them is the she's probably actually one of the less developed characters in the whole thing but she's the um younger she's the younger niece of the ship's captain mm. for all in space at this moment and um She's gone, they've, they've landed on the planet and she's gone sort of astray. And she's going somewhere she knows she shouldn't. She's like, fuck, I'm fucking so dead. I should have done more drugs, kissed more girls, eaten spicier food. And I was like, me too! <laughs> <laughs> um, That's perfect. And my obituary is going to blow. Here lies Jules, that girl who punched on ice skaters and worked on buildings that no one cared about. And actually, the punched on ice, mm. the punched on ice skaters bit is a really good example of how good a job Tilly Walden does a building up from a sort of single character arc intro mm. hook into a big kind of multi-layered, mm. multi-stranded, multi-person thing. In well, the... even if she'd never done anything else, the girl who punched the ice skaters instantly gives you this snap into a background. But you've also, you've had, all you've had of this character so far is somebody has said she used to do ice dancing and she got horribly embarrassed that the new girl got told that she used to do ice dancing and you know she's troubled sort of mm. broadly and then her internal narrative being I'm the girl who punched some ice dancers is just... It's just a tiny, perfect little bit of character development that for, just for, sat in there. For those of our readers that are horrible, like deficient, subpar slug creatures yes. that have not been reading this comic, yes. what is it? On a Sunbeam is it's now a complete twenty chapter webcomic. Twenty. Yes. Those chapters aren't short. No, and she started doing them last year. And Does she sleep? About ice dancing. Does she out. sleep? Oh, fuck, I don't know. Tilly Walden, do you sleep? <sighs> You're thrown into two things. You're thrown into the character Mia, who is, for reasons not yet known, swiftly 
having a change of pace. She is being taken onto a spaceship and we're not entirely sure why or where she's going, but she has to kind of meet these new people. And that's interspersed with flashbacks of her time at secondary school, hmm. which is fancy private girl school in space, broadly. Um, and it the first few chapters just sort of tease out where she is, what she's doing. It's all, it's all show and none of it's tell. It's so well exposited, just... Is that the end of summer? Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, one of her other books that's really good. Um, and then it kind of gradually builds up and you start learning more about why she's there, why they're all there, the lives of the people. You, there's actually kind of remarkably little exposition about the world. There is no exact sci-fi. They can... They don't need huge amounts of protection to be in space. There seems to be a lot of breathable atmospheres. There seems to be a lot of space mega structures mm. that just work from the talk of things. This is relatably human and not too hard sci-fi looking, but it's quite far future. They're talking about sort of the, you know, the agricultural belts around Jupiter, that sort of thing. And that being in the past mm. for them. Humanity has been in space for a long time at this point, it feels. She gave some early commentary where she did that thing that, and I was I was halfway through reading. I was like, oh, please don't, please don't like go full Jeanette Winterson. And she didn't, which is oh yeah, well you know I haven't really paid much attention to sci-fi, but I thought I'd do some. Um, <laughs> but then she didn't approach it arsely. It was kind of well, yeah, this isn't my Mia, but I wanted to do something in it. So rather than fuck it up, I just sort of didn't do the, the yeah the, the, yeah yes. And I think this was the thing we were sort of talking about off mic earlier. The problem of so much sci-fi feeling like it needs a coherent internal logic as well as a kind mm. of coherent feelings palette and plot well, and emotional spectrum. She Hermia is kind of, if not fantasy, then magical real. Yes. And so the storytelling techniques are completely portable to sci-fi, and the thing she does of show don't tell is completely portable to sci-fi. Yes. So as long as it's sitting on an internal, like a consistent logic, you'd have to show me you're working. There was never a moment when I thought, duh, that's not possible. Like it just all. Well, not least because you're not an asshole. Well, no, I try not to do, but it, but, it worked. Yeah. Um. Oh god, the colouring. The colouring's amazing. First of all, to sort of denote time and place, she uses it to switch between the flashbacks mm, mm. as well. But just lots of muted but distinct palettes incredible shading and kind of mm. colour depth and density is really really beautiful I don't normally pay much attention to colouring the fact that it yeah she's very good at it though oh god it's kind of she uses in her print work she uses a lot of ink washes mm. um, and this is I don't is this is this digital first I don't think so it looks like it's not I don't know it might be I don't know it felt, it felt sort of a bit blockier than some mm. of the print stuff so it might be but I'm not not mm. an expert on this I think the thing and when I was talking earlier about the sort of space for feelings that the sort of female creative works that I've been reading give, one thing I... So everybody... There are no men as such in any mm. of this. It is a, it is an all sort of female non-binary crew. You only ever see other women in the world. It's all mm. girls' schools. It's all sort of matriarchal society. They don't know what the deal is, but there aren't any dudes. And sort of kind of... Again, it's kind of queer and non-binary stuff. Mm. It's just sort of default. Every, a lot of... The women are in relationships with women. Yeah. There aren't any men there. That's fine. Um, she does a lot of queer and non-binary stuff. Yes. And the thing, the thing for me, I was first of all, I was thinking, it is so nice and so much less exhausting not to have to leave default space for men in your thing. Yes. But actually, where I got to with that, because it's not men, because if you say men, each individual man gets very sad that you don't want to include him. It's not having to leave default space for default masculinity. Yeah. 
oh, men are so fucking fragile. It's just so. Well, it's, it, again, it's that race thing I was talking yeah. about earlier. It's the, the 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 toxic masculinity, and the toxic whiteness. So. Yeah. It's not like I felt. Wow, this is so much more for me. I just didn't have those kind of uncomfortable edges to <laughs> rub up against, and that lack of discomfort was noticeable mm. and made it just an extremely pleasant reading experience. You know, some people seem to feel like they have to put a dude in there so that there's different types of people, but women can be so many types of people. The characters are all extremely distinct in terms of their sort of characterization and personalization. It's not like if it's all girls, then it's all fucking flowers and my little pony club or whatever. Christ, no. It was, and it's also sort of non-obtrusively non-masculine. It's not, it took me a while to figure out that that was the case to actually realize what is this absence that I'm feeling? Oh, it's mm. that big, huge space in the feelings that we might do here for men mm. but it was lovely really genuinely lovely it's, it's nice to encounter something as well that doesn't feel like there's that cultural moment and like Philip Roth is sort of the high priest but there are others um, the great American ego the self de- the self-defined yes. great American novel Ugh. which is about a middle-aged man having middle-aged man feelings and not being able to articulate them and that makes them more feely for him and also probably some quite grossly done sex with a much younger woman yeah usually yeah because that's what the fantasy is right? right the very best this gets is Siobhan and it's good but still bad yes Siobhan's a fantastic writer but come mm, on not always there with the gender politics yeah. and um, the worst it gets is like there's wrath there's an extent to which you're sort of asked to consider that that's what modern literature feels like. That's certainly what the default is, unless you're explicitly framing it through some other kind of lens. I, I, you know, I remember mm. when I was studying this stuff, if you wanted modern, it was the new canon of those egotistical mm. men. And if you wanted modern that wasn't those guys, you had to do post-colonial. Mm. As it's only when we ex- are explicitly focusing on those other voices that we hear them at all. Yeah. Then I, I, I suspect so much of my retreat to early modernism yes. was to get away from some of that shit while still having some of the same payoff of this is an interior life. Yes. Rich interior lives without this, yeah, reserved space. There's no bloke reservation. Yes, and there doesn't need to be, and it doesn't it's not even slightly lack mm. anything for there not being mm. one. If anything, it feels sort of... It feels very complete and whole mm. and of itself. Mm. How does it end? Not as in plot, but how does it feel? I actually did not realise it was done. I was expecting to end up halfway through an unfinished chapter, mm. so I sort of raced through the last few because I was trying to get it read before I came here today. Mm. And I'm going to have to go back over those last few because I don't think I gave them the time that they deserved. It's it's a nice resolution, and it also left me wanting more. So I guess it's... Hard to argue with that. It's sequelable, but it's also very much self-contained. Mm. They, were, they were good characters, and I feel like I've only just got to know them. I'd like to hang out with them again. Cool. I want to find out more about punching the ice skaters. But also, um, we talked about Skim earlier, and that sort of... She does teenage voice, you know, to marquee levels of good. Mm. It's... it's Because I think a lot of people, especially especially dudes, obviously, but a lot of people writing teenage girls who can't quite remember or have never been a teenage girl, it's very easy to go straight to histrionics, to go to the hysterical performative, and actually so mm. much of it is just being inside a void that is only yourself and there are just these huge oceans of distance between you and everyone around you and your own experience feels painfully different and everybody's actually having their own individually painfully different experience sort of in with little kind of concentric circles around themselves Mm. it does that sort of 
the silence and space of teenage girls as well as the talking and the phones and the trappings of it it does that so well and that is so much truer to what it was like to be me at that time Mm. than the phones and the talking and the makeup and the sexual confusion maybe a bit of the sexual confusion but not the mainstream kind pretty strong recommendation from us as as ever I can't even hate her for being so young and amazing and nice like when we spoke to her at Thought that was a while ago now but nice just so nice it's one of those things where, yes, I can't even let my own envy carry me on this one. I just want to hold her up and say, go and look at this, it's really good. If you want to get back on brand for Consequential with us fucking hating something, yes. I'm going to disappoint you because I didn't hate this thing, but I do have a lot of grousing to do. So I read Otherworld Barbara by uh, Moto Hagio, and th- this was released in, I don't know if it's first released or re-released, but mm. the, the big chunky sexy hardback that I have were, came out last year. First published, I think, in the early 2000s, 2005, 2006, something like that. And Motohage is sort of the um, grand dame, the breakthrough figurehead of a lot of shoujo manga, mm. and particularly um, the early mass market sort of shonen eye or kind of proto-yaoi. Yes. She draws a lot of slightly girly-looking pretty boys, uh-huh. and they stare at each other, and they have feels. Yes, do that with um, a Harry Potter fan art, you've got me in 2003. If yeah, I'd known how to work, I'd have been doing yes, it. Yes, it's that space. Yeah. And I wanted to love this book. I really wanted to love this book, and I'm really struggling. Yeah. So it's big, weird sci-fi of the finest kind. Uh, the loose premise is that there's a girl who's in a coma or has been asleep for a long time, yeah. and is dreaming this island that she sort of lives on, and... It's in a sort of future version of the world, and psychic phenomena to some degree are real. Mm -hmm. There's a thing of poltergeist activity, sort of things that people can manifest a Mm -hmm. bit, but they're kind of weak. So sometimes people will wake up covered in sand, for example, if they've dreamt of a beach or whatever. But it's um, this girl in this coma is dreaming this island, and the island may or may not be actually real. Mm -hmm. And there's this stuff going on in the background about why, and it's sort of... There's a, there's a trippy, surrealist sci-fi thing about the island, and then there's sort of a, a creepy conspiracy biomedical thriller mm. in that there's some stuff going on to do with allergy medication and anti-aging drugs. And what might be happening is that the island is a weird hypnotic distraction so that a pharmaco can harvest the blood of psychically sensitive people to sell it as anti-aging medication. There's a lot going on there. But it's not totally certain that that's what's happening. And one of the other things that might be happening is that everyone... Is that people are reincarnated, like Gaia Hypothesis-style planetary sentience Martian life forms from before the desolation of Mars. Okay. That also might be happening. Okay, at the same time as the possible blood hearts. Yeah. Are they related at all, or are these two like separate Yeah, related complicatedly. Okay. And the other thing that it might be about is fatherhood and family abandonment, because the thing that it's articulated through is Takayo, the dream pilot, the guy that can investigate other people's dreams, Mm -hmm. and his um, semi-alienated son, and his problematic relationship with his ex-wife, and then the families of his patients, and some people might be the same people, or they might be different. It's... Okay, fuck it. Here's my problem with this bloody thing. There's four or five premises being juggled around. Yes. And before we even get to the problems with the art, because I'm basically about to say that one of the best regarded shoji manga artists appears to either not be able to or not be interested in bothering to fucking draw. Um. Um, <clears throat> it's not that bad. There's all of these premises being juggled, and the individual iterations of them are great, but they don't quite clip together, or when mm-hmm. they do, it's with that, and then this happened, and then this oh, happened, God, yes. narrative of kind of a child telling a story. Yes. 
And it's super weird. So I've noticed this in some I watch a lot of anime, and you often get this. If you've got a really a sort of three-layer thing mm. of a really, really good, in media rays, never properly explained background plot where you can tell that someone's got meticulous notes yes. and they're doing a perfect tell-through showing, nibble it at the edges, don't do exposition. You can tell that that's there and it bubbles up perfectly. And then you've got individually brilliant sort of episodic character beats and storytelling. Mm-hmm, yeah. And then there's, there's this strand in the middle where the two just haven't connected. And so you get the, and then he turned out to secretly be so-and-so's uncle, or and then this happened, or that's because that. on Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah. It's, it's yes. just... And some of this is manga doing its manga thing, or particularly sci-fi manga doing its sci-fi manga thing. I also wonder, is there... Could any of it be translation related? Could it be yeah. a lot better in the original if it's so I have to assume. popular, sort of like plot and pacing wise, maybe? Or well, one of the things that gets lost that this does a good job of not losing is the puns. Oh, good. So yes. daft, the dafter end of manga is often very pun heavy, particularly visual humour. Um, yeah, so it, it's done. There's this thing about the island called Barbara, and the name Barbara pro- mm-hmm. crops up in different places, but also as a pseudo pun of like sort of barbarian, yeah. and then one of the kids transliterates wrong or gets mixed up and thinks that there's a conspiracy around the bland brand Burberry. Of course. And it, it's doing things there. So there's Any beard stuff or is that too many layers of That's that's thing? not gonna fly. Fine. So it's it's cool. It it it's not bad. It's just something hasn't quite clicked. Mm-hmm. In particular it's full of um fucking screen tones. Mm. So I don't know how much manga you've Right, but Very little. You know the fucking screen tone thing. Yes. That, the thing of the, the horrible pattern fills that look like they're from 1980 super paint. They don't know what 1980 super paint is either. Bad drawing application. Okay, Apple so Max I, in the 80s. Because what it reminded me of was those books you used to get at the newsagents that had a sort of pattern printed on them. Mm. You painted over them with water. They yeah, yeah, yeah. And like some of them are like big dots and small dots, or one of the characters wears these shirts that has a heart print on it. Mm-hmm. Except it's not textures; it's just a screen fill. Uh. And I just want your line work. The, 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 the page composition is really good mm-hmm. and the individual line work is fantastic and then it's just explosively shat on from altitude by this really lazy fill stuff and I just want is, on the one hand a, you is this a pulp printing issue does that shit print easier for the yeah, mass market and it, it duplicates easier some some manga artists have this studio model where you have a lead artist and then they hire a bunch of interns and they just crank it the fuck out yeah um and this is work to order. It's, it's work to order in the same way as, say, the Marvel or the DC model, but with larger books. Yes. Often with a slightly different work arrangement. So I can understand how you're going to want to spank this shit out. Mm-hmm. But I'm just more... Shading exists, hatching exists, or just just don't. Maybe just don't. So you've yes. got these... You've got angle and perspective and motion, mm. and then a flat fill. Ugh. So you've got... Two visual idioms on the same page, and it's You're also often... trying to make your brain kind of splice between the two perspectives. Mm-hmm. And it's not that she's not talented; she's good. Like the page composition is exquisite in places, and mm-hmm. like the character point of view and emotional feel. Although, as is often the case with people that like to draw lots of beautiful manga boys, crafting mm-hmm. the characters look the same. Yes, there's a problem with faces here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love it as a trip along, slightly surreal, big weird sci-fi, but. Mm-hmm. So I read the first issue or volume or whatever it is and was like, the fuck? And I read the second one and I was kind of like, okay. And by the time I got through about three or four, it was starting to make sense in my head. And this thing was happening, like when you watch a really intricate, slightly conspiracy sci-fi anime mm-hmm. series, where you get caught up and you're like, well, what if it's this? What if it's that? And the meaning by illusion 
creeps in and the fact yes. that it's all a bit and then this and then this mm-hmm. stops mattering because the deep thinking that sits under it that it never quite shows you does work yes but it takes an investment to get there it sounds like and this is I mean you could relatively easily kill a dog with this volume you, you could certainly well, not, not a husky but like, you know a medium dog yeah you could knock thunk. out a boxer yeah and it just stops it's kind of like hey end of part one that's the size of like fuck how much more of this is there that's well, not a complete story that's the that's act- the answer is always more yeah, that's act one and I know that I'm grousing about some really petty shit but you know the weird thing is I would recommend it <laughs> I just I just wish it were a bit tighter and I wish the shading were shading <laughs> That's a cautious recommendation there for um, yeah, other world Barbara. Barbara. Um, the island is called Barbara. The world is it. You talked about not making space for masculinity. Mm. This is weird. In the, almost all the characters are male. There are very few, and some of the female characters are almost grotesques. Mm. Not full on Western Madonna whore. No, interesting with the um, the shoji market though. In particular, I remember being that age and only wanting stories about beautiful tragic boys because mm. I hadn't fully sort of realised women myself mm. to, for, to one extent and also because that's a very safe and often very feelingsy inflected romantic place for teens to go to it's beautiful tragic boys it's sort of about flawed fatherhood around beautiful tragic boys and that is interesting yes I'd like to see more. Hopefully, it's coming in the later volumes. Not, I'll, I mean, I probably won't stay with it, but Fair. but I'd like to see more about some of the weird, flawed motherhood stuff that is obviously mm-hmm. sitting in the background. Mm-hmm. There's a family matriarch that doesn't really like her granddaughter and has some complicated stuff with the rest of her family that may also be de-aging and developing a split personality, or may not because it's not obvious what's going on. She's interesting. Want more of that? Oh yes. <laughs> you got to do some work to read this fucker, but mm. it's sort of a bit worth it, and there, there are goats. Okay, if there's goats, then I'm, I'm in. There's quite a lot of goats. Uh, even better. Well, we've, we've kind of, we've tripped through, there's a bit of a sort of a scattergun reading list thing, and then we've done some detail. Yeah, um, I mean, I, for me it sort of felt, although I was picking up some stuff quite at random that somebody else had pointed me to mostly, it did actually feel, there was a theme just beyond the kind of, you know, biology of the authors yeah it, it it had a lot of the stories had emotional weight and resonance that I don't always get in mm. stuff written by men and maybe that's because we as a society don't encourage men to care about emotions well you know masculinity and particularly patriarchy hurts men too and yes and that's not wow wow what about the men's that's no. Jesus you poor fuckers could you maybe have some emotional range like, yes could society let you but you have to um, to come round to that you have to fundamentally believe the premise that patriarchy mm. hurts everyone, which is a hard one to get your head mm. around if you're totally invested in performative masculinity. Yeah. It's a trap. It's a, it's a big yeah, trap. Yeah, paging the admiral. He got your back. <laughs> Precisely. I want to end on one tiny recommendation, which is for an eight-page webcomic by Anna F. Holstrom called Jogging, which is just one of the best executed stupid jokes I've ever seen, and the art is lovely. It's sketchy and, like, again, that kind of watercolour pencil mm-hmm. vibe, um, but a webcomic. Jogging by Anna F. Holstrom, five pa- eight pages. It'll take you seconds to read. I don't think there are any words. It's a wonderful stupid joke. I like that ghosts. Exactly. Read some comics by women. Lots of them are really good. Yeah. But also, I think it's worth saying, I mean, these are these are people that we're trying to give a little bit of light to because we think they're great, who we in turn got to because somebody else gave them a little bit yeah. of light. There are almost certainly 
an equal number of astounding things out mm. there that we just haven't stumbled on yet. And do you know what would be awesome? So a lot of y'all, when we did the Queer Stuff mm. podcast, we got some great recommendations in the comics. Yes. When, whenever we do spotlights, we tend to get good recommendations in the comics. Yes. If you happen to be passing and you want to leave us, us something, yeah. we'll boost the shit out of that signal, or even if we don't, we'll read it. Yeah, definitely. Good evening. Thank you, and good night.